My wife is a water connoisseur. All right, right? Yeah? Sure, okay. Uh, Derek McCord, uh, he always calls her a water snob. All right, but that's kind of who she is. Uh, she probably has a little water cup today, right? Yeah. All right. She likes water, and she likes to drink fresh water, pure water, if you will. Uh, I grew up out in the country, and, and I grew up drinking well water, and so I got into the city and was like, man, this is nasty stuff coming out of your faucets. But at the same time, my wife goes to my parents' house and takes one drink out of the, the tap, and she's like, this is disgusting, too. Uh, in fact, now that when we go out to my parents' house, we always bring a case of water or make sure they have a case of water so that, so that we can drink it. So. Uh, but when we moved to Mexico, this is the point of this story, okay? When we moved to Mexico, we, uh, we had a small problem because my wife does like fresh water. Uh, the water here is not the greatest, uh, and, and it, it, it kind of tastes kind of funky at times. And, and so uh, we got to the point, at least at our house it did. I don't know if your house does, but our house did. And we got to the point where a guy came in and he said, I will sell you a purification system. And my wife was like, yes. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to pay for this now. So, uh, but we did buy a purification system. And out of our tap, we have this little reverse osmosis. It's like triple purified or, or five times purified. And it's like bottled water, okay? And it tastes awesome. And, and honestly, uh, after drinking that for the last seven years or so, I, I would agree with her that tastes a lot better than anything else I taste. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay. I, I got it tell her I'm picking on her. So, all right. So I want to kind of talk about this idea of purity today, because when it comes to water, you can definitely tell the difference between pure water and impure water. And, and pure water makes all the difference in the world. And, and, and when we look at the world as a whole, we see that people have clean, pure water. Uh, it helps with disease and it helps them have uh, better lives. And so this idea of purity is important. Today we're going to be in uh, Psalm 119. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. There are some uh, pew Bibles in front of you you can find as well. Uh, we're kind of camping out in this psalm. It's a, it's a kind of a long psalm, and we're looking at different sections. Last week we looked at the first one. This week we're going to be looking at the second one, uh, which is verses 9 uh, through 16. And, and I just want to kind of read it and then, and then kind of discuss it. So let's do that. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. decrees. I will not neglect your word. So uh, this psalmist, he opens up with this, this question of purity, right? How can a young person stay pure? And a lot of times uh, in the church, when we think of purity and wanting to be pure, we usually think of one sin in particular, right? We think of sexual, sexual sins. Uh, for whatever reason, and, and I, I kind of understand, I mean, when we look at our culture, we see that, that our culture seems to be obsessed with this. I mean, our discussion right now in, in society is... Uh, what types of sexual, uh, sexuality is acceptable or not? 
I mean, you turn on the TV and, and it's going to be there. You, you have it on TV shows. You, I mean, I watch a football game and I'll have to cover my son's eyes as we're watching the commercials at times. I mean, it's just kind of where we're at in society. And so I understand why the church uh, in America has focused on this one aspect of purity. Uh, the problem is, is that the purity that's being talked about here is more multifaceted than that. We're not talking just about one sin in particular. We're talking about everything. And to kind of understand this, we have to kind of look at uh, the Jewish religion and and their understanding of clean and unclean. Now, we understand some of this, right? Because we we kind of joke around uh, the Jews. They had certain animals they could eat. They had certain animals they couldn't eat. Uh, And for instance, there's one animal in particular that we kind of laugh at, right? What animal can they not eat? pig, right? And we laugh at them. Why? Because they don't get to eat bacon. Hey, you guys are right there, right? They don't want to get to eat bacon, all right? And, and they're missing out, and they don't even know that they're missing out, all right? And, and, and so that's kind of, we kind of laugh at that, but that's kind of what we have to understand. There are certain things they were allowed to eat, certain things that they weren't allowed to eat, uh, and, and if we went into some of it, it would make a lot more sense. All right, but as human beings, not only are animals clean, but humans are clean and unclean. And a lot of what makes us clean and unclean was what we did, all right, who we were, where we're at in life. All right? And so this, this idea of clean and unclean becomes even more important when we understand that to come to worship God at the temple, you had to be clean. So if you were unclean, you were not allowed to come to the temple and worship God. Now, they didn't have a a temple in every single town. They had one temple. And so if you really wanted to worship God, you did everything that you could to be clean because you, you only went to Jerusalem once every year or so. And so you wanted to be able to worship God where he was and where he was doing. Hey, Jared, I have a little bit of feedback coming through. All right, so, so that's kind of one of those things that was, that's there. And so when the psalmist is asking, how can I be pure? He's really asking this question, how do I get to come before you and worship you as God? Now, he, he states it in this idea of, of how can a young person do this? And, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, if we're thinking about the moral obligations that we have as human beings towards God, the longer you live in life, the more likely you're going to be impure, right? The more chances you have to sin, the more, more likely that you've fallen into those sins. And so someone young is, is, is looking at the gamut of their lives and they're seeing, man, there's this one person over there that's really awesome, that, that's, that's been faithful their entire lives. How can I be like them? How can I remain pure? And the answer is in that first verse that we read, right? The answer is by living according to God's ways. To God's word. And so, so if we were to put this into a sentence, right, it would be we remain pure by living God's ways. And, and that's, uh, uh, did I go out? Okay. Nope. Someone said yes. All right, we're good. Sorry. Ever since Church on the Lawn, we've been having issues with the board trying to get it all settled out. So, all right, so we remain pure by living God's way. And what's very interesting is in this, in this passage, we, we've been talking a little bit about last week where 
Uh, he uses kind of different words to kind of explain the same topic, right? The law of God, the judgments of God, the decrees of God, and he uses different words over and over again to kind of give us a, a broad understanding of this subject matter. And this is the new word that he introduces in this verse. And it's the word that we translate word. And this word is, is very important in the Old Testament especially. Uh, it's this word that kind of discusses uh, what God speaks, right? And if you're talking about the prophets, you kind of talk about how before they introduced what they were to tell the people, that they said that the word of the Lord came to me, and he told me to say this. Or sometimes you hear it say, thus says the Lord. So this word of God, it, it's, it's vital that we understand it. The word of God is powerful, and it's mighty. All right, the word of God in Hebrews, we read that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to, to cut between mo- bone and marrow and spirit and sword, or spirit and soul. And so, so this, this word of God, it's, it's very powerful in our lives. Right? And it and, and, and makes sense that if we're trying to live pure lives, that the thing that we measure ourselves up to is the Word of God. So what is the Word of God? Well, we have some of it. Okay, Some of it was written down, and we placed it in this wonderful thing called the Bible. And the Bible is the Word of God. And something that we have to understand, though, is that the words of God, they only have power because God spoke them. See, sometimes in the church throughout history, uh, we've gone into this bad habit of where the Bible becomes the thing that we worship, where what it says is, is, is what we do down to the letter, and we don't look at the spirit behind it and what God was trying to communicate in it. Right, and we get to the point where we, we follow this to the point that we forget about God as, as a person that we're supposed to be worshiping. See, the Bible is a guidebook that leads us to God. And the only reason it has power in our lives is because God spoke it. The person behind it gave it power. Think of it this way. If you were to walk into my house and you're a complete stranger, and you said to my wife, man, your house is messy. My wife would probably be like, yes, it is. We have five kids. It gets messy, and we're going to pick it up later. All right, that's kind of how she would treat you. Now, if I walked into the house and I told her, man, this house is messy, it might start World War III. And you guys know it, right? If you're in that relationship, why? Is it because of the words I spoke? Because my words are the same words as the stranger, right? The reason why it matters is because of my relationship to my wife where she and I are are spouses, right? And she cares about what I think and she cares about what I say and I have power with my words in her life. And that's kind of where the Bible is. It is powerful, not because of the words that are written down on a page. It is powerful because God has spoken them. And so we have to keep that in mind. We have to understand that, and we have to realize that it's not the Bible. The Bible just guides us to where God is. All right? And so we, we, we understand that, and we, we go that way. So we're talking about purity, and we can look at the words of God, and we can examine ourselves to the words of God, and we can say, am I matching up? Am I living this pure life that God has ordained that I should live. So how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because the psalmist does tell us a number of ways in which we relate to the word of God and how it helps us to live and stay on this path of purity. The first way 
is by seeking God with all of our hearts. So this idea of seeking God with all that we are, it's not the first time that's popped up in this psalm. We talked about it a little bit last week, uh, but it's this idea of, of going after God with everything that we are. The word of God is to be in our hearts. Moses was talking to the Israelites uh, at the end of his lives, and one of the things that he said to them in Deuteronomy 6.6 6 was this. He says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. They're be a part of who you are. You're supposed to internalize them. They're supposed to be something that you don't have to go searching around for every time that you're having a struggle because you know it. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but this idea of seeking God is, is pretty much the way that we should view religion in general. See, throughout the Old Testament, this idea of seeking is essentially the idea of going after things. Right? And, and, and in the Old Testament, you either sought after God, you sought after yourself, or you sought after other gods, the idols. And so everything is defined by this seeking. Are we willing to seek God with everything that we are? And the wonderful thing about who God is is that he makes himself available. He stands there and says, I'm here. All right, it's not a big game of hide and seek. He says, I'm here. Just seek after me and you'll follow me. You'll find me. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. So God promises that if we seek after him, we will find him. The problem is that sometimes we don't always like the answers that he gives us, right? right we may be seeking and maybe we're praying and, and God doesn't answer our prayer in the way that we want it to. And so maybe we give up. Or maybe the answers that we do get aren't what we really want to, to have be the answer. And so we give up in that way. So too often in life, people give up on God. They give up the seeking for whatever reason. Part of the problem is, is that, that as we seek God, we get glimpses of who He is and how He interacts in our lives, but ultimately the revealing of God doesn't take place until when Jesus comes back. And so the seeking is a lifelong process, and that can become wearying. And so we need to not give up all right, we need not to do that. The psalmist says we need to seek with everything that we are and we will find him. And in the seeking of God and going after him with everything that we are, he promises that we will not be led astray. Uh, the word here for led astray, it's a, it's a unique word. It's not found very often, but it's the idea of sinning inadvertently. All right, it's these sins that, that just kind of appear, you know. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain at times. It's like the sheep that, that suddenly becomes lost, not because they, they were like, oh, there's the shepherd, I'm going to go this way. No, it's because they nibbled their way to lostness. Right? They weren't really wanting to get lost, but they found themselves lost anyways. The Bible gives us a number of ways that this can happen. One is, is in the Bible, examples is uh, wine or strong drink. Someone starts to drink a little bit here and there, eventually become addicted or do things while they're inhibited, and it leads them to sin that they weren't meaning to get into. Another way is through, through the uh, actions of 
uh, a seductive woman, okay? It's always in the perspective of men, okay? So you're not happy with your marriage, and this woman comes along, and you're seduced by her. You didn't mean to, but because you weren't content for whatever reason in your marriage, you were led astray. The third way is when you do not give, or when you listen to evil advice. Someone says, you should go do that, and you do it without deciding if it was good or not in the first place. So those are some of the ways that that happens. And, and what the psalmist says is that if we're seeking God with all that we are, we will not be led astray in those ways. A good way of picturing it's like you're going on a hike. If you've ever been on a hike, you know that there's paths that you can take that are well used and you can easily see the way that you should go. And then every once in a while, these, these cutback paths that not very many people use, they're kind of hard. Maybe they're overgrown a little bit. And unless you're paying close attention, it can become easy to lose your way on that path. And that's what life is. It's not always walking on this path that everyone sees and you know which is the right way. A lot of times it's these paths that are not as well traveled and you have to pay attention to where you're going to find your way. And when we seek God with all that we are, it makes it easier to see that path that's in front of us. So we remain pure by seeking God with all that we are. We also remain pure by treasuring God's word. Uh, it's this word that's translated hidden in the uh, NIV, at least, and it's this idea of hiding because you love it. You don't want someone to steal it. It's special. My daughter, Hadessa, uh, is kind of a mini hoarder. All right, She uh, will, every once in a while, have these bags. If you ever see her carrying a bag, you should look in it sometime, uh, because there's probably all kinds of treasures in there. All right, and she, she, because we have five kids, she doesn't want people to touch her stuff. Okay, and usually it's a special toy, but more often than not, it's art supplies. Okay, she her, her crowns, her markers, uh, her paints. Okay, she doesn't want the other other brothers and sisters using those things up, and so she'll put them in her bag and she'll keep that bag with her uh, until the bag's too full, where she has to go get another bag. And so we have like these twenty bags in her room that are just full of stuff. Okay, and that's kind of who she is. And this idea of hiding God's in our heart, or word in our heart. It's this idea of carrying around this bag just full of our stuff that we want to keep. It's this idea of internalizing that we talked about just a little bit ago. It's important that we memorize Scripture. And a lot of times people, they hear that word, memorize. I'm not very good at memorizing, but, but I have a question for you. Do you have a favorite song? Do you know that song's lyrics by heart? Most of us have some song that we know by heart. And, and how did we come to know it by heart? We didn't hear it one day on the radio and say, man, that's a good song. I know every word, every word in it. No, it took time, right? You listen to it over and over and over again until it was internalized into you. And now you could sing it, maybe not well, but you can sing it. And that's what the Word of God needs to be for us. You can memorize. It may just take you a little bit of time. But it's important because it shows how much we care for it in our lives. It means that we're taking the time to sit there and to remember it and to memorize and to be able to tell the stories that are in the Bible without having to look them up because we've read them over and over again. And if we know God's Word, if it's in our heart, it shows how much we care about it. The second reason why we should memorize Scripture 
It's because in our lives, there are going to be tough situations that we find ourselves in. And when we're in those temptations to go the way that God doesn't want us to live, the best way to know which way God does want us to go is if we have those scriptures. There are countless times in my life where I've been tempted to do something. And the memory verses that I have memorized over time have popped up in my head and said, no, that's not a good idea. Having God's word in your heart helps you to see that path even better. And we need to treasure God's word in our life. If we want to remain pure, we need to learn from God as well. Uh, that next verse, verse, uh, oh, it's the wrong page. Uh, verse uh, 12, he says, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Sometimes in our lives, we, we get so to a point where we feel like we know a subject better than, than anything else, and no one's going to be able to teach us anything new about it. And when we get to that point, we kind of miss out on the fact that, that our world is constantly changing. There's new ways to do things every single day, year, and if we are not willing to continue to learn, then we're not going to reach the potential that we can have. And in our spiritual lives as well, it's the same way. We can never get to a place where we know everything. We have to learn. We have to be willing to cry out like the psalmist and say, teach me, God, your ways. And by learning from God on a consistent basis, by, by reading his scripture and learning new things, each time that you open it up, you can become more and more like Jesus as you change your lives to reflect him. So we need to learn from God. We also remain pure by proclaiming God's actions. You guys ever been to, had a story either in your life or that you witnessed that was just a spectacular moment and that you've told people over and over again? For me, one of those stories uh, takes place in May 7th, 1995. I was a little one. I lived in Indiana, and basketball was our thing, and, and on that day, the Pacers were facing the Knicks, and they were huge rivals. We were wanting to beat them, and they had beaten us the last couple years in the playoffs, and so it was an exciting time. So we're watching it, first game of the playoffs, uh, and it was a tightly fought battle, and it came down to 18.7 seconds, and with 18.7 seconds left in the game, the Pacers were down by six. Okay, and, and, and all it was in New York and all the Knicks fans were starting to leave because they had won the game. Right. Six points lead with 18 seconds left. Then something spectacular happened. Reggie Miller, one of the Pacers uh, shooting guards, he, he got the inbound pass, took a quick three, nailed it uh, th with cut the lead in half with a few seconds, just off, taken off the clock. Uh, the Knicks, for some inexplicable reason, they threw it right to Reggie Miller as it was coming in. All right, and so he took a step back three, drained it. It was a tie ball game. And then the Pacers fouled John Stockton, the point guard for the Knicks, for no reason. So John Stockton goes down to the free throw line, and guess what? He misses both free throws. Patrick Ewing, the center for the Knicks, gets the rebound, misses point blank like a shot he would hit every single time. Reggie Miller gets a rebound and is fouled himself, goes down and hits two free throws. In a span of nine seconds, he scored eight points and wins the game. 
spectacular. I remember as a little kid going out uh, into the driveway afterwards and, and practicing that. Three, step back three, two free throws. Yes. And, and I can tell you that story because it was spectacular. It was amazing. It was awesome to watch. And I can remember the emotions as I tell you that story of what it felt like to see that for the first time and to just relive it every time I tell it. And those emotions are what we get when we retell and proclaim God's actions in the world. Not, not just what he has done in his word, but what he's done in our lives as well. We need to tell about what God has done. Our God didn't create the world and then step back and said, you guys figure it out. No, our God stepped into history. And our story is his story. And he's challenged us to go and to tell the world about what he has done by sending his son to die on the cross so that we might have forgiveness. We remain pure by, as we tell this story, we're reminded about why we are following him in the first place. And it can be scary. The disciples probably were scared. They, they'd watched Jesus crucified, and the same men that crucified Jesus told them, you stop or we're else. And their response in Acts 4.20 was this. They said, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have heard and what we've seen. And no matter where we're at in life, no matter how scary it is to talk to our neighbors, no matter how scary it is to talk to the people that we work with, we are not facing the same thing that they faced. We're not facing people that are saying, you're going to die if you keep on telling it, at least not here. And those words need to be ours. As for us, we cannot help but tell. We need to proclaim what God has done. We remain pure by rejoicing in our faithfulness. Sometimes we, we have this hesitation to, to kind of be proud of ourselves uh, for, for different things because we think people are going to think differently of us. But the reality is, is that we need to rejoice in our faithfulness. Never been to a meeting, but I hear at AA's meetings that you can go in there and you tell them, my name is Tony and I'm an alcoholic and I've been sober for however many days it's been. Why do they do that? They do it because they celebrate as those days become longer and they become weeks and they become months and become years and they're celebrating with each other. And for us, we need to celebrate when we defeat sin in our lives. Sin enslaves us. And sometimes it's difficult to get away from certain sins in our lives. And it's important that when we break free, that we rejoice that we celebrate, that we, maybe we even throw a party for ourselves. And by rejoicing, we have something to be happy about. The Christianity, it's not this morbid experience. It's celebration. That Jesus broke free our bonds. And we should rejoice as in our faithfulness. We also remain pure by contemplating God's ways. Uh, he says there in, in verse 4, 15, that I will meditate on God's word. Now, when we think of meditation, what do we picture in our heads? Probably a Buddhist monk, right? Sitting cross-legged, humming to himself. All right, that's not really what that word means here. All right, meditation like that's uh, the Eastern religions, not uh, Judaism. 
For them, meditation was contemplating, either inwardly or out loud, the things of God. So what, so what we could be doing is if we're reading a, a passage of scriptures like Psalm 119, we can say, man, am I seeking God with all my heart? Am I hiding his word in my heart? Am I praising him? And we examine our lives to what we've just read. And the places where it doesn't quite match up, we figure out ways on how we can get back into make it line up the way God wants us to live. See, it's important to read your Bible even if you just do it for five minutes a day. Right? It's even more important that after you've read your Bible, that you sit there and you contemplate and you can examine yourselves and you figure out how you can match up to the Word of God better. It's hard sometimes. And maybe you need to, to get out a journal and you need to write it down. Maybe you don't need to write it down, but it's important that you just kind of are examining yourselves and deciding, do I line up with what he has done? It's a lifelong process. It's not something that you're instantly going to be better at because you did it one time. It's something you have to do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, as you get more and more like Jesus. The last thing he says is that we become pure by not neglecting God's word. James says it this way in verse 122. He says, uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. See, neglecting God's word is when we memorize it, when we read it, when we meditate on it, but we don't change because of it. See, we, we can do all those things and we could be considered one of the best Christians in the world, but in reality, if we're not acting on it, we are nothing. Too often we neglect God's word because we're satisfied. When we look at the history of Israel, that's how it was, right? When life was good, they didn't need God, but then suddenly their life became bad, and they turned to God until God made it good, and then they didn't need God. And it was this vicious cycle over and over again. In our lives, it's that way too. A lot of times we feel like we're good and we don't need God. And then life breaks down. And where do we run? We can get out of that cycle by not neglecting his word in our lives. By when we do meditate, when we do examine ourselves and see the areas that we change, that we actually change. Don't just keep doing the same thing. Act on it. Do the word of God in our lives. Our purity in our lives is very much attainable. And if we did some of these things that the psalmist gives us to do, it would make it a lot easier to be pure. But it's like a garden. You plant a garden in your backyard and you just kind of sit back and let it do whatever it does, you're probably not going to get a whole lot out of it. But if you go and you weed and you prune and you water and you make sure that everything is going well for that garden, you'll more than likely get a fruitful harvest. And the same thing is with purity in our lives. We can sit back and do nothing, but you probably aren't going to find purity. But if you work on it, if you seek after God, if you memorize, if you internalize His commandments, if you put Him into action, you will find that purity that He wants you to have. Will you pray with me? Dear God, help us in our lives when it's hard 
to be pure. Help us, Father, to, to work on the strategies that the psalmist gives to be able to go and, and to seek after you with everything that we are, to, to learn from you the ways that we should live, to contemplate, to memorize, to, to read. But Father, most of all, help us to do your word. Help us to change, to reflect you in all things that we do. I ask this in your name.